0: Welcome to the Celebration Church Tri-Cities Podcast. We are so grateful that you have chosen to spend part of your day with us. We are praying that God speaks to you through this message from our pastor, Robert Russell. For more information about our church, visit cctri.org. Enjoy the message. Lord, you are holy, righteous, pure, And apart from you, we couldn't approach you. But because of your love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, we can run to you. That you love us, desire good things for us. Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit to fill us afresh. That we'd have deeper understanding of you, deeper love for you, a greater desire to serve you. We pray against any spirit of darkness that would try to distract or confuse, and we ask, Lord, that you would speak to each of our hearts. I pray you would speak to those who are brokenhearted or downtrodden, to give them encouragement that you would speak to the wounded to bring healing to their souls. For those who are in bondage to fear, that you would give them courage. To all of us, Lord, that you would give us a fresh sense of your presence and your power in our lives. And I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, we're continuing in the series about confronting the chaos, and we will do so for a number of more weeks. Last week, I talked about the image of God. And I said that to me, this is foundational in understanding what's going on in the culture, the chaos in the culture. Because I believe that essentially all of the chaos can be boiled down to one statement, And that is that it's an attack upon the image of God. You look at any issue, and in some form or another, if you will sift it through, it is an attack upon the image of God. Now, lots of people involved in those things don't realize that's what they're doing, but the spirits of evil realize it because Satan hates the image of God. He hates humanity. He desires to kill, steal, and destroy humanity. And all of the craziness in our society today is essentially at the point of undermining human life to attack the image of God. And the scripture we looked at last week is in Genesis, right in chapter one, where it says, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And I indicated that I don't think anybody can really comprehend what that completely knows, or that is to know what it means to really be... created in the image of God, but that it is an indication that you and I have capacities that are above that of the animals. They operate by instinct, but you and I have the capacity to reason, to make moral choices, to operate our will, to imagine, to be creative. We have the capacity to express emotions, to express love, You see, in all of those things, I think they are a reflection of the character of God that enable us to have relationships. What's distinct, what's different is the capacity for us to have relationships with, first of all, the living God, and then with other people. That animals operate within the confines of their species, and they do certain things together, but really relational interaction is what God has reserved for humanity, and it is how you and I reflect his image. Now, that image was damaged in the original sin, and all of us have sinned and confirmed the original sin, so that the image of God in each of us is marred, you might say. But what the Holy Spirit does when he comes to dwell within us, when Christ forgives us, is impart to us new life that we are crucified with Christ, the old old person is taken away, new life is given us by God, and what he does then is restore, renew, and invigorate the image of God in us. In fact, I've been around a number of people who've walked with Christ for a long period of time who just glow in the spirit of God. They reflect the image of God so beautifully. In fact, this past week on Wednesday, we had an interesting experience. We were doing baptisms at Warriors Park. We were down on the peninsula area, if you're familiar with Duck Island there. And I was standing in the water facing the shore. And people would walk out, and then they would stand, and I would ask them, had they invited Jesus to be their Lord and Savior? But it so happened, the way they were standing, the sun was over in this direction, and it was low in the sky, not quite sunset yet, but it was, it was glistening upon the water. And the reflection of the water and the sun was upon the face of every person that was being baptized. It was so beautiful. It was like they just glowed. It was so pertinent for that moment, and it was such a joyous thing. In many respects, they reflected the glory of God in the moment of being baptized in a unique and different way. But you see, all of us are created in his image, every single one of us. And what God does when he saves a life then is set about recreating his image in us in a powerful way. Now this week, I want to take a little bit of a detour, sort of like we took a detour at Easter to talk about some specific things Because this is Pentecost weekend. And the church has celebrated Pentecost ever since the original Pentecost. It is a special time to reflect upon what the Holy Spirit has done and is doing. I called it Pentecostal chaos because, really, from Pentecost forward, it really led to a lot of chaos in a lot of ways immediately in the lives of the disciples, in the lives of those who were converted on the day of Pentecost, in in all of the Roman Empire as Christianity spread, and essentially that chaos has been continuing throughout the centuries up until and through today. And so I want to talk about it very specifically. It's recorded in the book of Acts, and what's there is really a celebration of something God is doing anew and afresh in what is referred to in the Scripture as the last days. Now, Jesus had told the disciples that he was going to depart. He told them that he would suffer, he would be crucified, that he would be raised from the dead. And like many other things that Jesus taught the disciples, I'm sure they did not understand initially. I mean, I think there are a lot of things that when they first heard Jesus declare them, they just couldn't have understood. And it didn't make sense probably until after the resurrection or after Pentecost or sometime in their ministry. Then what Jesus had said, what he had done, probably became much more clear in their minds. And so he's telling them he's going to depart, but he says, I'm not going to leave you alone that I'll ask the Father, he will send the counselor. And in some versions, that's translated as the advocate or the comforter, that he would send the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth, that the world can accept him, but you will know him, for he lives with you and he will be in you. And you see, at this point, they couldn't have understand the significance of what he's saying. But he's saying that the Holy Spirit, who is God, you and I should not refer to the Holy Spirit as an it or a force or something like that. We should refer to him as if we're referring to a person because he's the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God, and he's a part of this Trinity that created all things, that all things are held together by Christ and for him. And yet, the Spirit of God comes to dwell within any person who receives Christ. Now, I cannot comprehend that. How is it that the God who's in charge of all things indwells each and every believer, all of you who have accepted him, and all of the believers around the world? But it's true. It's how when you encounter a person from another part of the world and you have that kinship with them in the Spirit... It's because the Holy Spirit indwells them and indwells you. And it's the most incomprehensible thing to realize that God dwells within each of us. It doesn't mean that we are God. We're distinct. We're individuals. But we're in union with him. That before you accept Christ, you are spiritually dead. Your body's alive. Your soul, your mind is active. You have a will, you can make choices, but in your inmost being you are spiritually dead. This is why people go from one thing to another trying to find purpose and meaning in life because there's a void in their soul. And until such time as Christ comes to fill that void, you're always going to find emptiness in the things of the world. But the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. He then imparts to us life The scripture says there that he's the spirit of truth. He teaches us what is true. And I think he does this as long as we live. To me, this is one of the good things about being a Christian. That life is not boring. That he's always doing new things. His blessings are new every morning, the scripture says. That he is teaching us as long as we live. That is, the Holy Spirit is teaching us more about God himself. He's teaching us about relationships, about understanding him. He teaches us about the world, that as long as you live, he's your instructor, your teacher, that he'll never depart from you. He'll never leave you. He always will indwell you. And you see, I believe at the point of death, it's not a terrifying thing because the spirit of God is with you. And that is in that moment, it's not going to be a radical change because you're already in relationship with him. You'll exit this body, but probably you'll experience peace and joy at a greater magnitude than you've ever experienced. That it's not something to be terrified of, but to recognize all that you've lived your life for in faith in Christ is coming to fruition with him. Now, the scripture also indicates in John That when the counselor comes, he will teach you all things. He's talking to the disciples and saying to them, he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said. That is, it's the Holy Spirit who teaches us the truth about Christ, about God, and that he reminds you in any given circumstance or he gives you understanding in any given circumstance of what to say in that moment. For example, some of you will recall back in March, I... uh, told this little story about being on a ski lift with these two young girls who were in their early 20s, and I'm developing a relationship with them, asking about their spiritual beliefs and so forth. And then they asked some questions, and it caused me to think of the story of Rahab the harlot. Now, honestly, if you were to go to an evangelism training program, I doubt they will tell you to use the story of Rahab the harlot. That's probably not on the list. But in that moment, I'm sure the Holy Spirit brought that to my mind to explain to these young girls that here was a person who was a prostitute in a foreign land, not a Jew. It had to be the Holy Spirit who was working upon her that she would have belief. And then she exercised faith. She came into the Jewish nation, married a Jewish man, and ends up in the genealogy of Jesus. Her story is one of the best redemption stories in all of the Bible. And it had to be a work of the Holy Spirit drawing her. And so in that moment, I believe the Holy Spirit told me to share it with these young girls so that they would understand any person anywhere in the world at any time can be drawn by the Spirit to understand who Christ is. And so Jesus made the promise about the Holy Spirit, and he told the disciples to wait. Now, I've learned in my Christian life that one of the most important things you can do, one of the most godly things you can do is wait. People don't like to wait, especially in the time period in which we live. Now, young people here will not be able to comprehend this, but in the earliest days of the internet, that is, when it first came into existence. Now, I worked at a place, we had computers, and we were beginning to connect to the internet. Now, how did we connect? Well, through a modem, you remember those things? Those screeching devices via telephone lines. And here's what would happen. I, I kid you not. Young people, I know you can't believe this, but, but if you wanted to go to a website, you would type in the website, push enter, and go get a cup of coffee, have a conversation with somebody, come back in 20 minutes and see if it had loaded yet. Remember those days? And we were thrilled when it loaded. Like, Wow. Now, if on your phone, the website doesn't come up within 1.5 seconds, you are frustrated. Is that not true? You're going to like, I gotta get a new phone. It's not fast enough. But if you'd lived through the modem days, you'd go, wow, this is a great phone. But now, you see, in those days, we had to wait. We're not a very patient people today. One of the fruit of the Spirit is patience. And what I've learned is that a patient person is a loving person. It's almost impossible for an impatient person to be loving. And see, God wants to teach us to be patient, and many, many times he teaches us by telling us to wait. Because we want to run ahead, we want to fix things instantly, we want to solve the problem now, but he says, if you will wait, I will deal with it. But too much of the time, we want to fix it in our own strength. And so he said to the disciples, wait. And they waited 50 days. It's called Pentecost because the pentapart refers to five or 50. And really what was, had been celebrated by the Jews up until that point was the Feast of Weeks, which occurred seven weeks or 50 days after the time of Passover. And so here the coming of Pentecost is going to be at this celebration because really everything in the Old Testament, all the feasts, everything is pointing to Christ and Christ himself fulfilled them. He's the Passover lamb. He fulfilled it at the Passover time. He's the sacrifice that was made during the week of Passover at that point. And here at what we now call Pentecost, it's the celebration of the harvest and God's gonna pour out his spirit In the celebration of the harvest that's going to take place in the last days, the harvest of souls. And so the scripture says, excuse me, let me move ahead. It says that suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were waiting together, that is the disciples and that they saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus had told them this was coming, but until that moment, surely they had no idea what it was going to be like, and it was probably astonishing to them. It is interesting that the Scripture records that it was like wind and fire. Those things appear in other places of Scripture to indicate something about God that it is a rushing wind of the Spirit, and wind is a very, very interesting thing. In fact, several weeks ago, I had a very young lady who was asking me some very wise questions. I I thought, wise and mature beyond her years. And she came to a place, she said, how can I believe in something I cannot see? And I think the Holy Spirit gave me very quick understanding to say to her, do you believe in the wind? Do you believe the wind is real? And she's like, well, yes. And you see, in reality, you cannot see the wind. You can only see what? The effects of the wind. Nobody has ever seen the wind. We don't see the Holy Spirit, but we can surely see the effects of wind and surely see the effects of the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes a wind is a gentle wind that cools you down on a very hot day. Sometimes it's a strong wind that's bending the trees, changing the leaves. Sometimes one of the winds that I was most thankful for many years ago was when all the leaves had fallen in my yard and I had a lot of work to do to clean them up. And there was a big storm, a very powerful wind that blew them all over on my neighbor's yard. I mean, it was amazing. Just My neighbor had to clean them up. (laughs) He mulched them, I think. But sometimes, you know, the winds like that And then sometimes the wind is scary, very powerful, very intimidating. When we were on vacation, we were at the coast, and one day they forecast winds of 20 to 30 miles an hour with gusts of 50 miles an hour. And I've personally never been at the coast when the waves were that strong, that powerful, and that violent that particular day. Now, my wife thought it was wonderful. She thought it was beautiful, all the sounds and the wind and all that. I thought it was terrible because they closed the fishing pier that day. But it was something to see. I mean, it was hard to stand against the wind some of the time. And you see, when the Scripture's recording the coming of the Spirit as the wind, it really does talk about the power of God that is coming in the spirit. The power of God, the dunamis, the scripture talks about, from where we get the word dynamite, that the dunamis, the power of God, comes to live within a person, his authority, his power. And then it talks about fire in this relationship. Well, fire, too, is recorded in scripture in some significant ways. Take, for example, the burning bush, that it was about the presence of God, being on holy ground, Or the scripture talks about the refiner's fire. That he burns the dross, that is the sinfulness, out of our souls. That the refiner's fire is very, very real. And that he works to change us. Ultimately, look at some of the imagery in Revelation. It looks like the whole world will be consumed in fire. And so the coming of the Holy Spirit is talking about the power of God, the work of God. It says that he enabled those who were there to speak in tongues... To speak languages they did not know. Now, why he chose to do it that way, I'm not sure. We can only speculate. The scripture does say that there were God-fearing Jews from every nation in Jerusalem. They had come there to celebrate the feast. And so he's going to pour out his spirit, and he's going to address people from every part of the world, partly so that their fire would be lit, that there would be those who would come to know him, and they would go back to wherever they resided and the fire would spread. You know, it just takes one little ember to move a fire to a new location. And so what was going on was the Spirit was pouring out, speaking to all these people in all these different languages. They didn't need Google Translate. That they could very quickly, by the power of God, speak to all of these people, which was a testimony that God's power was upon them. It was a sign. It was a miraculous thing. I wonder, and this is purely speculation, but I wonder too, because I think in terms of Pentecost, I think of the Tower of Babel, that there God divided the languages, and here he's maybe bringing some unity to the languages in point out through his spirit. Now, I don't know what heaven will be like. I don't know whether we'll all speak one new language or we'll speak all the languages we speak now. It could be that throughout all of heaven, all of the time in eternity, you're learning new languages. I don't know. None of us knows. It'd be interesting to find out. It is interesting, though, that some of you will probably have to repeat the course that you take on a language from time to time. One of the funnier things that happened with the gentleman in the extended part of my family is in high school, he's failed Spanish. He ended up being a missionary in Mexico. He speaks Spanish fluently now. But, you know, God sometimes takes the things of our past that are different and Recreates them for good in his life So I don't know what it'll be like But for some reason God chose to speak in tongues Through all the different apostles at this moment And of course tongues is referred to in other parts of scripture It's an entirely different teaching We believe that the gifts of the spirit are real and for today So we believe tongues is an active gift That is true for the church today That should be operated within the confines of how the scripture indicates But here certainly God was pouring out his spirit to make a profound statement. And then what occurs is that Peter stood up among them and began to address the crowd. Now, Peter was undoubtedly an extrovert, a brash person. Maybe he was a palm tree in in Hedy's tall tree analysis. But his brashness and his extrovert personality had from time to time got him in trouble. He would be the first to jump out of the boat, but also the first to sink. He denied Christ three times. There are a lot of good things about Peter, but his flesh would fail. And yet what's happening here at Pentecost is surely Peter is not speaking in his own strength or by his own flesh but rather that the Spirit of God is enabling him, empowering him, anointing him to speak boldly and powerfully. And not only to the people of that moment, but the words of Peter uttered at Pentecost have now spoken to millions upon millions of people. They speak afresh to us today through what's recorded. It says that he addressed the people there and said, fellow Jews... All of you who are here in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Because they had thought that the disciples were drunk. But he says, no, it's only the third hour of the morning. It's not that they're drunk. But rather, this is to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, actually, what's spoken there by Joel is spoken other places in the Old Testament. But it's most clearly identified in Joel, and that's probably why he referred to it. He said, in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all people, on sons and daughters that they will prophesy, on young men that they will see visions, on old men that they will dream dreams. Now, to make this statement is a very profound statement because in the Jewish culture of that day, women did not have a very high status. To say that God's pouring out his spirit on both men and women is profound. That he would pour out his spirit on the young as well as the old. Really, regardless of age, if you're a very young person, you should ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, to overflow in you, to use you to his glory. It should be a prayer of yours regularly. And if you're an old man, you should still dream dreams. you realize that? That no matter what point you get in life, you shouldn't get to the place of saying, well, God's done, it's over that his blessings are new every morning. As an older person, you should still dream dreams. In fact, one of the best examples of that in scripture is Caleb. Remember, Joshua and Caleb were the only two spies, not splice, who went into the promised land who came back with a faithful report. They said, we can do it because God's with us. And they were the only two that God allowed to live out of the time of the wilderness, and to go into the promised land. And of course, God raised Joshua up to be the leader of the people of Israel as they went into the promised land, but there was Caleb there too. Caleb was an old man, but he declared what? That he was as strong as he was when he was young. He was really saying to those young punks, I can still take you, watch out. And he also said, I want that land See, he had a dream of the land that God had promised, and he wanted it, and God fulfilled it. And so if you're later in life, I don't care what point you're at, you should still dream dreams. God's in the business of fulfilling dreams. If it's a dream that's from him, he will fulfill it. And so here in Pentecost, this is what the Scripture's saying is that By the Holy Spirit, there are going to be a lot of fresh things, good things, new things that are coming. And he says, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And then he says, and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I absolutely believe that the message of the gospel of Christ is for every single person, not only for a select few or a certain group, but it's for every person and every class, every tongue, every tribe, every portion of the world that God calls by his spirit every person to know him. And I wonder the words that Peter stated here that everyone who calls upon his name will be saved. I wonder how many times someone has spoken those words and somebody came to know Christ. I wonder how many times somebody read those words and in that moment called upon the name of Christ. And you see, Peter was anointed for that moment. The scripture indicates a large number came to accept Christ that day. But not only for then, those words are alive and active today to draw people to the truth to him. That every person who calls upon the name of Christ will be saved. Then Peter said, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God through miracles, wonders, signs, through many things. In fact, anybody who followed Jesus around would have surely thought this man must be of God because there had been miracle after miracle, the blind being given sight, the lame could walk. And there were large crowds who followed him wanting to be touched by him because they saw the miracles like the woman with the problem of bleeding that had gone on for years who just wanted to touch his garment and she was healed. Yet, people didn't believe. It amazes me that the Pharisees saw him heal someone and then what did they want to do? They wanted to kill him because he was a threat to their power. It indicated the the level of the darkness of the pride of their hearts. And so Peter said, look, this man Was from God, but he was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. This is one of those statements that indicates God is sovereign, that he does predestine things, even though there are also many scriptures that talk about the free will of human beings. That God is absolutely sovereign. He's in charge of all things. He has given us free will within certain parameters. Those two things simultaneously coexist. It's impossible for me to understand how that's the case, but it's true. That the choices that you make matter. They they absolutely matter because the scripture says you will give an account for every careless word. If you have to give an account for every careless word, that means every choice you make matters. I was talking to this young man and his wife the other day. They, uh, I was playing pickleball with them. And they're going to play in a tournament together. And they were saying, pray for us. This is a test of our marriage. <laughs> now, I've gotten to know them a little bit, so I was sort of counseling them through the process. And I said to him eventually, I said, remember, Christ said to love your wife as he loved the church and died and gave himself up for her. She said, I'm going to quote that to him during the match. But you see, what I was saying to him really is the choices you make to show love to her matter in that moment more than winning some kind of game. And so these two things do exist, that is, human free will and God's sovereignty. But in this case, what Peter is declaring is that what has occurred was absolutely God's plan, that at the fullness of time, Christ came into the world, that he came to be the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world. And it was God's plan, his purpose, that he be handed over to wicked men, that he be nailed to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from death because it was impossible for death to hold him down. Because he is God. It was impossible. See, the judgment of death came from God at the original sin. And do you realize the judgment of death was an act of love? A lot of people are like, I don't get that. Well, see, understand this. That this is a fallen world, a sinful world. You suffer the consequences of that from time to time. The longer I live, the more grievous it is for me to be in a fallen world. The more your heart longs for a world where there's no more sin, no more crying, no more pain, and no more death. And because of original sin, God's judgment was death so that we would not live eternally in a fallen world. That death is a gift, it is also like the crossroads, the choosing point. In other words, because of death, every person must choose whom they will follow. Like Joshua in the Old Testament said, as for me and my house this day, we will serve the Lord. Well, every person must choose because of death. Will I follow Christ? Will I seek him? Will I know the one true God or will I rebel against him? And you see, death is that which liberates us completely for those who seek him to find eternal joy, peace, love, what no eye has beheld. It really is a gift from God. It's why some people, they reach a later point in life, I think Billy Graham was quoted as having said that he was longing for the day of seeing God face to face. But you see, death had no authority upon Jesus because Jesus has authority over death. Death. Absolute authority over death. And he gives that authority to us by his life so that you and I don't have to fear death, that we're set free from the bondage of it, that we can live this life without fear of death. And then Peter said, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Remembering that Christ means Messiah. That he's the Lord of lords, king of kings. He's the one who came to save. The very name Jesus talks about him as savior, the one who saves. That God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And he says, whom you crucified. You know, maybe these were people who were there when Jesus was before Pilate and they were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Maybe these were people who saw him come into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry and first acknowledged him but were then opposed to him. Maybe these were people who lined the streets along the Via Della Rosa, the road that Jesus took as he went to Golgotha to be crucified. Maybe they'd seen his scourged body marred to the point where it was probably not even recognizable. Maybe they were there at the cross. Maybe some celebrated the crucifixion like Satan did. But now Peter says to them, whom you crucified. And really, as I dwell upon that scripture, I have to say he's pointing at me and at you. That, that it was the sin of every single one of us that necessitated the crucifixion of Christ. He didn't go to the cross because he was forced to do so. He went there voluntarily. It wasn't the, really the order of Pilate or the work of the soldiers. It was his will that he would go and be the sacrifice for the sin of the world. But it was a necessity, a requirement because of your sin and mine. He said, I'll forgive you. So when I read whom you crucified, I realize that was me too. And then he says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. Repentance is what opens the door. When I turn away from and then I invite Christ, it opens the door for him into my life. You're not saved by baptism, but baptism is a sign of having surrendered, that I am made a new person in Christ, I'm washed clean by his work. And I've said many times that I believe one of the reasons God says to be baptized is because it becomes a stone of remembrance, that it solidifies in your heart this choice you have made, that you would be baptized, and that you would say to the world, I give my life to Christ. I'm not my own. I was bought at a price. Then Peter said, You too can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It says that all who heard the message that day, about 3,000 were added to the number of believers. And probably that spread rapidly because remember, these are people from every nation. They're going to go in different locations and spread the gospel. It is remarkable that a small number, a handful of people anointed of the Spirit created chaos that is still lasting to today. It's like the ripple effect is still going on. The tide of Pentecost is still taking place. And he says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, I believe that every person who accepts Christ receives the Holy Spirit at the point of salvation. And you receive the fullness of the Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. You don't get a fraction of the Holy Spirit. But what I also believe is that he does not get all of you. That something in you, the old person, the old sinful nature, the one that desires to control things yourself, that you have to continually die to be set free in order that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the scripture also talks about being filled like fresh fillings of the Holy Spirit. And see I believe that for every single one of us we should always be asking, Lord fill me afresh. And what I'm not asking I'm not asking, Lord come into me again. That's not it. What I'm asking is, Lord, I want to get out of the way. Surrender my will. Fill me afresh. Now sadly, in the modern church in this country, too much people are asking to be filled with the Spirit for selfish reasons, because they want things for themselves. I don't believe that's what he fills us with the Spirit for. I believe God fills us with the Holy Spirit to enable us to love people as he loves people and to fulfill the ministry that he has called us to. In other words, if you ask the Holy Spirit to give you a fresh filling in order to love your wife, I think he's going to say yes. Seriously. If you ask the Holy Spirit to give you a fresh filling because you're in a deep, dark valley, to give you a fresh filling that you could persevere, he's going to say yes. If he's asked you to do something, to step out, in a place you've never been before and you realize it's him and you ask for a fresh feeling to be able to accomplish that, he's gonna say yes. In fact, the scripture says, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He says, if you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? See, if you ask with the right motives, If my motive is, God, I want to know you more clearly, I want to fulfill your ministry, I want to do your will, if that is your motive, he's going to pour out his spirit in you in greater measure. If your motives are selfish, that you want more of the spirit, as if he's a genie to somehow bless you in this world, then you're missing an understanding of who he is. And here at Pentecost, and really, every day, all of us should be praying, Lord, I want a fresh feeling of your spirit. Regardless of your age, whether you're very young or very old. In fact, a few weeks ago in a staff meeting, we were having a discussion about this. And I said, I had come to the recognition that during the last year or so, The Lord had given me a fresh feeling of His Spirit in two ways. Two ways that I was very aware of. Now, before I share that, though, let me say this. Sometimes I believe the Lord gives me a fresh feeling of His Spirit right in the moment. In other words, maybe I'm with somebody and they're grieving deeply, they're hurting. It's like last night, just before the service, I walked up. I was actually walking up to this gentleman to ask him a, a rather mundane question, and his wife was sitting there. And I stopped, and I just started talking to her and I asked how she was doing. And I had no idea, but this past week's been a very difficult week for her, and with some challenging news, things like that. And I think in that moment, God gave me a fresh feeling of His Spirit just to have compassion for her to encourage her. But what I was saying about during the last year, I, I believe God's given me a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit in two very significant ways. One of them is to love the Ukrainian people. I, I can't explain it, but my heart burst with love for the Ukrainian people. I understand, no, I don't understand. I have a little understanding of the hardship they've gone through how difficult it is still yet in their country for their friends and family who are still there. And my heart just burst with love for them. And I'm so thankful that we as a church have come together to help those that we have helped. And one of the things that's troubled me is I've asked quite a number of other churches to also help and I've gotten an answer of no most of the time. One other church, Central Presbyterian in Bristol, said yes, they they took a Ukrainian family. But my wife said, look, not all these other churches are called to that. We're called to that. And God has given us a filling of his spirit to fulfill that mission. In fact, we have another Ukrainian family arriving June the 6th and others in the the pipeline that we're hoping to get here. But I said, I believe the Lord's given me a fresh feeling of his spirit for that purpose. To love these people who the day before the war, war started were not the least of these, but suddenly without warning, or very little warning, were among those who were the least of these, at least for a time. And the other fresh feeling of the spirit that I think the Lord has given me is a clarity and authority to teach that's different than anything I've ever had. Now, maybe you're not aware of that. That's fine. But in my own mind, in my own heart, I realize there's this clarity about what to teach that has been different and an authority to teach that has been different. That's why I have zero desire to retire because I feel like God keeps giving me more and more that I might fulfill whatever he's calling me to. And so, every one of us, for whatever purposes he has in your life, should be asking, Lord, give me a fresh filling of the Spirit. If you're a teacher in a school, you need a fresh feeling of the Spirit for that mission. If you're a nurse in a hospital, you need a fresh filling of the Spirit for that mission. If you're a craftsman, you work with your hands. you realize God wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit that you would work as unto him to create beautiful things that glorify his name? You see, whatever God calls you to, he wants to fill you afresh regardless of your age. So the worship band's going to come back. And as we do, here's what I would like you to do. I'd like you to gather in groups of, say, three to five or so people and pray with one another. Now, maybe some of you have some prayer requests that you want to share with others and ask them to pray for you. Maybe many of you don't. You don't have to. But what I do want you to do is pray for one another that you would be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. That there'd be a fresh anointing, a fresh power in your life. So please stand. Please go and join with others. Don't let fear keep you from doing it. And I encourage you to pray that the Spirit of God would be afresh upon you. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast and that it blessed you in some way. Don't forget to visit our website at cctri.org and make sure that you send us your prayer requests at office at cctri.org. We pray that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him.